You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Hey, everybody. Before we jump into the episode, I just wanted to say thank you for your support. I really do appreciate it. Uh, Support for the show is growing each and every day, and it's all thanks to you. So thank you again for all of your support. This episode uh, is an interview with Hody Johns from the We Are Libertarians Network. Just a fantastic dude to sit down and talk to. I really enjoyed it. Um, this interview with him and this discussion, uh, like last episode, I said, I did a, uh, a makeup episode because I had audio trouble in this one. There is some crackling in the audio. So I do apologize for that. Um, it kind of jumps in and out every now and again. So please bear with me with the audio troubles. I am going to get a new laptop here soon. That'll hopefully fix all of this up, but without further ado, let's jump into the show. I'd be listening to the mainstream media and just be left frustrated on how they covered these stories. They would completely ignore facts just to promote their own agenda. I said, man, I could do a better job than these fools. I should start my own show. So I did. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to a brand new episode of Freedom Strips. I'm your host, Keaton Tucker. And my guest today is the great Hody Johns. You may have heard of him. He's the one doing a lot of the grunt work for the We Are Libertarians podcast network. He's been doing a lot of great content. I've really enjoyed his uh, Libertarian presidential debate series. He's done a lot of content tackling the uh, the just useless and insolvent uh, pieces of the federal government. He's been growing more and more in the libertarian community. I see him everywhere. Hody Johns, thank you for taking the time to come on, buddy. Hey, I'm excited to be on the show that serves up some Kentucky Fried Freedom. That's right. What's more American than some Freedom Fried Strips? Yeah, I, I gotta ask. Are you just a chicken strip nugget fan, or was it? Did it just seem oh, really I American? Mean, What's the history there? Yeah, no, it was. It's funny you asked. It's it's just. Uh, I was thinking of a a name and a buddy of mine that helped me come up with the show. He helped me launch it, and. Um, I mean, chicken strips is about as American as you can get. And I am a fan of chicken strips, but yeah, pretty much. Oh, yeah, I, I could absolutely go for some chicken strips. I think every time I listen to the show, I think about swinging by Red Robin or something. Maybe some of their kids. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just some, a bunch of chicken Some fingers. Zaxby's and. Uh, yeah. <laughs> raging, uh, raging Canes. Raising oh, canes. man. We don't have one of those out here in Utah. I'm in the gutter of the United States oh, out no. here in Utah. We uh, obviously I got some drug drug stuff to take care of out here. Everybody loves <laughs> yeah. them. Some drug war. Yeah, uh, absolutely. We make the news for all the wrong reasons, but uh, we're we're uh, you know what? We're the fiftieth star on that flag, and we're just happy to be on it. In, in the meantime, well, don't be ashamed, too ashamed of Utah. I am living in uh, Florida, so <laughs> I mean, oh, talk about gotcha. the uh, the armpit of the United States. Florida. I can tell if those were those were guitars or gator uh, like get out of here gator paddle signs, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you never know when one of those things will just crawl up in your yard over here. I'll let you know if I see one behind. You. <laughs> okay, yeah, I appreciate it. For now, you. let's do some do some sweet freedom talk. That's right. So uh, I wanted to um, reach out to Hody Johns one because I was a fan, and two because he can provide some excellent insight. Um, as my listeners know, I'm fairly new to the libertarian. Uh, philosophy, the libertarian movement. And I really wanted to launch this podcast series as more of like a, a learning tool for me and for my listeners, whoever wanted to learn along with me. And uh, so as I reached out to Hody Johns, I kind of asked him if he had anything that was weighing on his mind. And uh, Hody wanted to talk about um, really the, the ways we can be evangelists for the cause of freedom. Um, and I thought that was a really great topic. I think uh, this discussion is going to be pretty fruitful, pretty great. Um, Hody has some great historic examples he's going to bring up, as well as we're just going to talk back and forth on on how uh, we ourselves and even you as the listener, what you can do in your local communities to help further the cause of individual freedom um, in your own personal lives. So, Hody, why don't you go ahead and take it away, kind of get us started here. Sure. Well, I think it's great, first of all, that you put yourself out there to be wrong. I think when I think of my own philosophy, 
and how it's evolved, it's by being wrong. It's saying the wrong thing and being corrected. And if you're not, if, if you just want to pretend you're right, you're just going to watch the news and you're going to shut up and you're never going to say anything. And you're going to be uh, what they call a useful idiot uh, to either the left or right, because those are the, those are the big tribes, right? You want to be in a nice big tribe with a lot of good friends and people who love you. So you're really on the right path there. Uh, the only reason I'm anybody, anybody even knows my name uh, outside of the work and uh, that I'm having so much fun doing on We're Libertarians, but the only reason I'm even on that network is because I am a uh, three-time national speech and debate champion on the college level, uh, Liberty University. We, uh, we won three times while I was there. And then they won three times after I left, so it made it feel a lot less special. But <laughs> I love to think that it's three time me. three time champion is still impressive, Hody. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, they have they obviously they have a great system out there. But I think uh, we think so much of philosophy and especially political philosophy when we talk about these things. And I, I am such a pa- I have such a passion about evangelism because really that I think that we are used to speaking of these things so negatively. And I can tell you that the most effective way, even on the college, professional, I'm judging you harshly level, is by keeping it positive and fun and light and engaging and understanding. And I just think that there's a lot of tools that we miss as libertarians. You listen to the communication and we get negative and down on people and just saying uh, – and we're so used to – I think when you've been in the uh, uh, the mindset of liberty for long enough, you just say, well – Anybody that talks about validating any kind of taxation is just an idiot, and I'm just going to write them off. Well, that has you thinking that 98% of the planet are idiots, and you're just (laughs) not – right. I mean how are you going to relate to these people anymore? So we kind of forget our humanity with it. People don't think of it that way. They think of it – people don't think of it as involuntary. They think of it as like, well, if I don't like it, I can leave. Or they say, yeah, sometimes it's the wrong end of the deal, but at least I'm getting something out of what I pay for, right? And so there's a lot of valid – I think it's important to address the validity of people that aren't fully in on the libertarian cause yet. Yeah. And that's really uh, where I wanted to talk with you, and specifically I wanted to talk with you about it for this show because I can tell you have a passion for freedom. Uh, you do a lot of interviews, but you also do some solo shows, and I can tell that you care about the cause of freedom. And we're not going to get there, frankly, without the recruits that we need. Mm-hmm. And I, so I just felt like this was would be a great conversation to have specifically with you, Keaton, because uh, because you just seem seem like a fellow soldier that gets it. So, <laughs> well, I appreciate uh, <laughs> that. Yeah. So let me share some some tips that I knew, and and uh, obviously when you're when you're training for speech and debate on the professional level, it's very different than when you're on the social media level. But I use a lot of the same tactics, um, and it works. So I was the first libertarian in my family, and uh, just a couple years ago we had a family reunion, and there was only two of them out of I think we had. 40 that showed up two that were not that did not consider themselves libertarians or liberty minded um liberty lovers and we just and so it, it's one of those that i just i am proud for having spread it to my family and my mm. community and mm-hmm. my friends understand more about it my colleagues when we get to talk about it they know that um at my job when i podcast they know and they ask me questions and we got a lot of liberty lovers there too and people that turn into the show does your family is that is that like a uh, a thing that comes up a lot is politics or is that like a uh, an awkward thing or is that pretty welcomed in in your circle Politics do, does not come up a lot, but uh, that's actually one of the one of the ways that we can get people to our to our side. I think the even before I start with step one, let's just address the non-political. I don't care about politics, people. Yeah, you shouldn't have to care about politics at the moment. Politics encompasses your social life, your, our foreign policy, your domestic life, your economy, your taxes, your income, uh, your your education. Politics is has is this gross monster that's uh, enveloped everything. You shouldn't have to care. You read about political science in, you know, in different eras of the universe. They're not talking about economy because it wasn't an issue. They're not talking about education because it wasn't an issue at the moment. We've evolved to just where politics is ever that studying politics is studying everything. Yeah. It's grown far too big. Right. And so, my deal is here's the thing. My goal is to put myself out of business because I really love making cheese and sandwiches and, and I, I'm a restaurant guy, right? But I can't do all of these things 
in the way that I want to do them because government's standing in the way. So I absolutely understand when someone is not politically minded. They say, I just want to sit on my couch and, and, and knit all day, or I just want to go to work and I just want to focus on my restaurant. I just want to focus on my business. I just want to focus on my legal practice. I don't want to have to deal with politics all day. Yeah. And my whole thing is I agree. So do you want to get some politics out of it? Yeah. <laughs> let's jo join forces and let's, let's help kick them out because you shouldn't have to care about who's running for president. That shouldn't affect your life. Man, isn't that the truth, man? I mean, you see the just, I mean, politics right now is probably at its most intense point that I can ever remember. Um, and that's just, that is in line with as government has grown, the intensity of politics and, and the visceral hate going back and forth on each side has grown. And there's one common denominator and that's just the growth of government power. It's, it's controlling far too much and people are getting scared and that's why they're being so uh, aggressive towards each other because he that holds the scepter controls the other side. And right. so that's, that's, that's uh, the evil avalanche <laughs> that everyone fears there. Sure. Uh, let, let's, let's talk about a hot topic right off the bat, abortion. Man, that's a tough one one way or the other. But as soon as you give the federal government to say, yes, you can do it, or no, you can't do it, you've given them too much power. Uh, similarly with gay marriage. As soon as you give somebody permission you have to ask for permission to get married or deny permission to get married. They have too much power. The idea shouldn't be, uh, you know, what does the government say about it? It should be, what do I say about it? What are my ethics regarding this issue? And anybody, you know, you think about it and you say, well, I'm really happy. Say you're pro-life and you just say, well, the government has finally decided to outlaw abortions. Well, great for you, except you understand that if you've given them that much power, you've also given the power to mandate abortions and and, and mandate certain marriage practices. And, and so you, you don't think of it as I've given up my freedom, but even a pro-life person shouldn't want the government being involved with abortion at all, to any degree, because that could, that, that gives them the power to abuse something that they've historically abused in the past. And so it's just too much you want we want to stop the bleeding. We want the buck to stop here. Now I'm I'm young, I get it. I'm 34. I am I consider myself young, and so sometimes when I say that, when people say this is the worst government's ever been, it's like well, before I was born, we had three incidents where uh, socialist societies eradicated hundreds of millions of people in the last century. Right. Yeah. So so to say this is the worst of, uh, has things have ever been might be inaccurate. However, this is the most involved government has ever been. This is the largest and, government that's ever been put together correct. as well. And so while smaller governments hypothetically have con committed larger crimes, a lot of that is because of the internet era and social media and videotaping and you can see what the government's doing. People are going to talk about it. You can't get away with a cheap shot anymore. Right. Uh, so, but this is all, this is all high level, right? For, for a lot of people, freedom's not understood to be necessarily great. They think freedom for me is fine, but am I giving big government, you know, big corporations permission to abuse, you know, to use child workers? Am I g giving permission for sex traffickers? I mean, isn't that part of freedom? If I, if I, allow these things so they don't necessarily see freedom as a good thing and so what we want to do is we want to lead them to that path um, and that's kind of what I wanted to talk about today so let's just talk about my first step I've got three easy steps for how to make somebody feel like a, like a true liberty lover all right and the first first thing is to abandon the word libertarian right we we that's that's a politically charged word. You automatically come off like an evangelist right off the bat. They teach you when you're actually an evangelist for, say, a, a Christian denomination. They teach you to, to not say, hey, excuse me, sir, would you like to hear about becoming a Protestant, becoming a Catholic today? They say, hey, do you have a few minutes to hear the good word? You know, would you like right. to, you know. So let's use something a little less up in your face. So what we want to do, step one, is care about whatever the issues the person cares about more than the person him or herself. So if you're talking to an environmentalist, the goal isn't to say, we oftentimes try to dismiss their fears, which isn't necessarily wrong. 
we have a lot of global warming advocates that believe that the world will end in 12 years. They've predict, been predicting that since the 1970s. Yeah. Uh, Time has a great cover where they show these icebergs, talk about how the icebergs were going to take over the world when glo- the globe was going to freeze over. Mm-hmm. They, we they realized we screwed up that prediction pretty bad. And so they said, well, let's, let's move it to heating now. Uh, and, and so, and so we have numerous examples of times when environmental agencies have lied to us about the threat of global warming and, and not just predicted badly, straight up lied about it. Yeah. In fact, of the three ways we actually measure global temperature, two of them have been caught in a scandal involving altering information and the data. And so that's a problem. That's them lying. That's them lying for a reason. Of course, a government entity would like to see government grow. (laughs) Makes sense. But look, let's give it to them. We shouldn't try to dismiss all of their facts and all of their experiences. And it's hard for libertarians to let that go because most of us are such factually based people. We love facts. We love statistics. And so we just say, ha, you heard bad information. Your whole side is wrong. Look, there are genuine scientists who have not uh, altered the information that still believe in global warming, that are still able to produce evidence that climate change outside of just the weather changing outside, that climate change is actually a very real thing and something for us to consider, something for us to worry about. They're level-headed. They're not not the guys that are getting famous saying the world's going to end in 10 years. They're the guys getting famous for saying the world's going to end in a thousand years, or more accurately, the world's going to evolve in ways that we might not necessarily want it to evolve into Mm -hmm. if it keeps increasing at this rate. So let's grant them that. And instead of just granting them that to say, oh, I'll allow you to have a few bad statistics here and there, let's embrace that. Let's say, you know what? I hate it when people pollute the air too. I'm also worried that this, uh, and you should be, if the world is under a microscope or if the world's under a magnifying glass, like a kid that's melting ants, you know, like, like the evil little kid. Yeah. We should be worried about that. Yeah. Yeah, It's a normal thing. Oh yeah. I mean, I think everyone should be environmentally conscious. I think I think that's a good thing. That's a good practice for everybody to have. Right. Yeah. And 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 you can expand this to education, economy, uh, healthcare is a good one. Where libertarians tend to be dismissive of bad ideas. Oh, you know, you're or, or bad statistics to say. Oh, you're just worried about something that's not actually going to happen. You're over freaking out. You're trying to apply these bad solutions. Look, first things first. Connect with the issue and understand that it's a problem and care about the issue more than them. Mm. So uh, we always grant personal experiences. Now, this is one of those rules that you learn in speech and debate. You, you are never allowed to discount someone's personal experiences, even if you think they're making it up. And even if you think that it's rare to say, you know what, this is your experience. Let's embrace it. I understand you went through something. A lot of people say uh, social justice has gotten out of control. Mm-hmm. And they say, well, in my experience, I get I get pulled over all the time driving while black and I shouldn't be getting uh, that shouldn't be happening to me. Yes, you could argue that being pulled over, you could find your statistics and look it up and find out that being pulled over while you're a black or white person is the same amount. It's really more akin to your uh, poverty situation and whatever you want to do. But then the, what you show, what you display is that you're trying to discount the, discredit what's happening right. to them. Yeah. Yeah, never do that. Say, you know what? I'm really sorry that's happening to you, man. And not only am I going to grant that that happens to you, I really care that that's happening to you and that shouldn't be happening to you. Mm-hmm. And then uh, this is a great rule for if you're repairing your marriage <laughs> to re- rephrase a problem in your own words. So this is one that that uh, psychologists have identified the number one way to dispel a disagreement with uh, a loved one is when they say they're having a problem and the person is like, yeah, but this say so. Do I understand correctly that the problem that you have, sweetie, is that I sit down and I play video games instead of taking out the trash? And that indicates to you that I really don't care about you or the family because I care more about my own entertainment. And they, they're like, oh, my gosh, yes, that's exactly what it indicates. Now, look, it might not be true. Most of the time, this miscommunication is because the guy is so defensive. He's like, look, I just had a long day. I'm tired. I, I, you know, stop jumping all over me. Right. But we forget that step to acknowledge the problem. Mm-hmm. And we say, OK, I see what you're saying. And I see how this makes you feel, you know, and, and a lot of times we do this dismissive. Sorry, it makes you feel upset. You know, sorry, you get. I'm <laughs> so Dr. sorry. You get ir- <laughs> right. I'm sorry. You get irrational. You feel? Yeah, I'm, how does that make you feel? No, no, I'm so- don't be so aggressive. 
<laughs> right. <laughs> right. And so it makes people feel dismissed when you say, well, I'm sorry that you acted irrationally, but I was acting perfectly normal. And we, we give this kind of fake apology. What we want to do is say, uh, let's go back to the environmental situation, for example. Hey, you're worried that the, that the earth is warming up, that this is going to create environmental catastrophes, that it's polluting our air, that it's poisoning our waters, and that if we simply remove all these regulations, that it's going to be left unchecked. Is that correct? And most, I would say 99% of environmentalists are going to be like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, That's man. it. You got it. Right. That's the problem I have. And so you say, I agree. That's a problem, too. I'm worried about that, too. So let's dive into the issue. Step number two isn't even really a step. It's more of a rule. And what you want to do is avoid fight, fights about definitions and politicians. Both of those things can unravel an argument pretty quickly. Mm. Look, I've listened to your show. You and I feel the same way about socialism. I'm not big on it. I had a debate with a socialist late, lately. It was uh, I'm a capitalist myself. But there's a lot of libertarians that talk about voluntary socialism. Now, of course, the definition of socialism is that uh, – I, I believe the dictionary definition is it's run by a single collective or the state. State um, with the control of the means of production and distribution. Yeah, yeah there, there you go. State controls all of that stuff. Uh, obviously, most socialists don't think of it that way. No, so the yeah. more you try to – the more you try to hold them to a definition that they don't believe in, the more arbitrary your arguments Yeah, become. it's funny you actually bring that up. I mean in the last episode, um, I was covering Bernie Sanders' town halls and one of the ladies um, brought up a definition of socialism where I was just like – she read it off the card. She was like, well, the definition of socialism is when people get together and they share all their things and everyone works for the betterment of the group. And I was just like, well, I mean, shoot, that sounds great. I mean, that's that sounds like my local church, you know, going in and contributing to the the local community. It, right. She may socialism. be a socialist when I heard her say it. Yeah, I, I guess I mean, I'm a socialist. Shoot, I, I mean, that just sounds like my local church. How could I be against that? Right. Uh, and so I just Googled it real quick and I was like, no, actually, it's a little bit more devious than that. But I, I'm you know, like you said, that is, I would assume a large majority of the people in the United States that align themselves as democratic socialists do not actually understand the scope of what socialism means. And I think you hear this also on the, on the either the libertarian or even on the, on, on the Republican side when um, they see these policies such as Medicare for all and, 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 you know, the uh, elimination of, of college debt and free college, um, all of that are, are social policies, but they're not mm -hmm. technically so they don't fall technically under the band of socialism. Um, now, they are pieces of, of some a system that would incorporate all of that. But just those pieces alone, when you start screaming socialism, like you said, that can automatically put up a barrier on that conversation immediately. Sure. And, and if you hold them to the definition of socialism, uh, the definition of capitalism is both an economic and political system in which trade and industry are controlled by private owners for profit rather than by a state. Yeah. So technically, you have to be an anarchist to be a capitalist by the dictionary definition. Mm. A lot of capitalists don't consider themselves anarchists, right? <laughs> so – so, so then they'll just, you go, you see that where the badminton fight is coming yeah, in. You just right. serve it over the net and you're right. Yeah. And you're not really going anywhere. And so the important thing is to avoid uh, fighting over a definition and a politician. The definitions, we talked about how those are problematic. It can go back and forth forever. The politicians are almost exactly the same. People get tribal. They have somebody that they look up to. You insult their hero. You're insulting them. Mm -hmm. they, you know, we might not think of it that way. A lot of liberty-minded folks tend to be very individualist. We are our own heroes. We have some guys with good ideas. But I, I think the most commonly used phrase in the entire libertarian movement is, well, I don't agree with everything he says, but – you know, mm, <laughs> just yeah. that phrase alone. Yeah, no, because you're right. Because we are such, we are such, you know, we don't want to defend everything everybody says. We want to pick and take. We're, we're at a buffet of good ideas and we want to take good ideas, you know. The idea of, of evangelism is we're trying to get other people to partake in this buffet with us. So if we just insult their idols and their politicians, we're really not going to make a lot of traction. They're just going to immediately get hurt. Now, they might bring up something like, well, I really love Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. They really are thinking about 
a set of issues. So instead of saying, I think she's an idiot, did you hear, let me show you my 18 memes that I have saved about her saying things that look like it. <laughs> Yelling like at the idiot. garbage disposal. <laughs> oh my gosh. And it's a, re that really happened. And her calling them what the three chambers of government. And <laughs> yeah. uh, she has said some really stupid things. Now here's the thing. I'm a podcaster. I've said some stupid things before too. Sure. And yeah. So my, myself included. Right. I would rather, I would much rather have a politician that shares too much versus shares too little. I, I totally I, agree. That's, that's one thing I, about AOC and Trump. I mean, say what you will about yep. them, but my goodness, are they transparent? And we haven't had that in a long time. You don't have to know what what, what show they're watching at the moment. <laughs> yeah. It's playing in the background. You know, I, my dream is to have the president, the president of GoPro, right? Where they're just constantly the GoPro. You see everything they do. Yeah, he's you he's wearing the, the helmet strap. He's just walking around with it on his forehead. Right. And so when people think when these people hear, make a hero of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, do they really love the fact that she's talking about a garbage disposal or that she called them the chambers of government? No, they love other things. Now, maybe we think she's got a bad prescription of these issues. But if we've done step one correctly, we've established that trust in the other person that they care about these issues, that we care about these issues as well. Mm. So when Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, we can call her stupid all day. But when you call her stupid, all they can see in you is you dismissing healthcare, dismissing education, dismissing a bunch of problems, that, that she has put forth a plan, a rather terrible plan, yes, but let's arrive at that later. Yeah. Let's call it a terrible let's, – let's keep those memes within the liberty community. <laughs> We're talking to somebody who's not yet there. Yes. And so, and so, so, so they have a place. I love a laugh and a jab as much as anybody else. Believe me, I do. I, I'm so glad that she's out there just for the sake of making me laugh. But when you look at my friends and family – you need to care about your friends and family that you're having this conversation with. Right. And if they like her, you can't just dismiss Alexandria Cortez without dismissing things that they like. People don't like that when you dismiss stuff that they like. No, well, like you said earlier, a lot of people – and I don't know if I – mean, I mean I assume this has been the case for a long time now. But people are starting to associate themselves very closely with politicians where you said earlier mm -hmm. if you attack a politician – it's almost like you're attacking the individual you're talking to. Yep. Um, which is, I've seen that many times um, where, you know, whether I take a quick jab and just a, a conversation with a group of people and, and you see one, one person automatically, you know, start to throw walls up and start to get defensive. I'm like, yeah. I wasn't even talking about you. You know, I, I, you seem like a nice person, but that, that is, you have to tiptoe around that. That's a good point. I have a new Liberty friend who used to work for the DNC, and we never talked about how the DNC was awful when we were friends. I knew she worked there. We would just talk about what was going on, and ultimately she came to the conclusion herself after a very long time that she didn't really like the way things were operating there. <laughs> and there was a lot was this of – before or after they <laughs> this rigged after. the election? <laughs> Yeah, this was after a rigged election. Now, the funny thing is she was a Bernie fan. She joined after that whole shtick. But uh, well, good she's for her for him. leaving and because and, and, a lot of Bernie people, um, they they were reluctant to, to vote for Hillary, but they, they kind of stood with the Democratic Party, which is very interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see what's going to happen in 2020 if Bernie Sanders gets snubbed again. Which I've, I've said that this is it, it's his race to win, I believe, you know, that the establishment's getting behind Joe Biden. But I don't know if Joe Biden um, will get the numbers. But if it goes to a superdelegate in the Democratic uh, National Committee and it goes to a superdelegate and they choose Joe Biden instead of Bernie, I, I don't know. You might see Bernie make an independent run instead. Well, he's always independent and then switches to Democrat when he has to caucus. Right? I, I say and that, so but he turned around and, and uh endorsed hillary clinton so i don't see why he wouldn't endorse joe biden here sure anyway so well, I, I interrupted you there no you're okay it's and here's the thing like all these people that you're talking about they're a log to hold on to we're all we're all going down a waterfall and it's bad and the the, the river's starting to pick up and we see the waterfall in sight the issue is they're holding on to a log why would they grasp at a straw why would they grasp at another log that's also going down there? We really have to prove that we're something different. Yeah. So if they find that we're just arguing about 
my politician will solve it better than yours will. You know, it, it's just you come off just as another log. You know, the, the drowning man will, will grasp at a straw. We need to offer them more than straws right now because sure. not enough. We don't need we don't want to wait till the whole country is drowning before they grasp our straw. No, you know, well, and that's <laughs> that, another thing that I've seen. Um, and this it by no means is a I would assume a large group of people, but some some people are just wanting to ho- watch the whole system burn. And and mm-hmm. think that that will that will fix the system once the system totally collapses. And I'm like, I don't know if you want to see the system collapse to get the uh, the the way of life that you want, whether no, it's uh, with more freedom or not. So let's talk about some of those historical examples real quick. What the what it looks like when something collapses. Venezuela is what Venezuela, it looks like. When yeah, that's the first collapses. thing on mine. Yeah, they are trying. Um, there's an interview. You've had Brian Nichols on the show before. He did a great interview with somebody talk about how they had a tough time catching cats to eat, um, to try and to try and eat man, there. And that's man. what that's what a collapsed economy looks like. Yeah. You look at Greece and the riots there. That's what a collapsed economy looks like. You look at America right before. I mean, in the Civil War, the only time they turned to the Republican Party, which was something different. You know, they had two other parties before that. The only time they even tried a third party is when the country held guns up to each other's head and were willing to kill their brothers over over some land squabbles. Yeah. And that's what collapse looks like. It looks like brothers murdering brothers. It looks like eating cats in the streets, and it looks awful. And so we don't want it to get to that point. Now, I think a lot of the collapsitarians just assume it's inevitable that we can't, but I think we should make an effort to try Yes, at the very least. <laughs> yeah, to do everything in our power to to keep that last case scenario from happening. Sure. And even if we don't change the whole country, the people that are most prepared during a collapse have really achieved this mentality of individualism before it happens. If you are in a system that relies on the government and the government collapses, you're in trouble. If you are in a system that relies on yourself and you've been relying on yourself and the government collapses, it's not as big a deal. Yeah. You know, so so we want to encourage this mentality, not because we need them to be libertarians so that they can vote for libertarian candidates and our members will get 5% instead of 3.8% next time. That's not what it's about. We really care about these people and we want them to make these choices that will improve their lives now, you know, not later now. All right. I mean, we uh, a drug war is a great example. Uh, libertarians have been preaching about how bad the drug war, war is for, I mean, since the first marijuana leaf sprouted out of the ground, liberty thinkers were like, yeah, people should be able to do whatever they want with this thing. Mm-hmm. But only recently did public perception on this change. Finally, enough families had been destroyed, enough money had been buried into it, and public perception is starting to change on that. So it doesn't necessarily mean that libertarians need to be in control to make a change, even just a general mentality that, that has breached both right-wingers and left-wingers for them to say – yeah, I don't care about this drug war thing anymore. Yeah, or, hey, maybe we shouldn't throw people in cages for having a plant in their pocket. Right for growing a plant for growing a plant in their yard, having a plant in their pocket. Uh, for Republicans, I mean, what better argument can you make than to say, "Hey, I think doing drugs is a bad idea, and I really don't want to pay for somebody room and board for somebody for the rest of their no lives when they kidding. do drugs." Man, I mean. I have never hated somebody so much that I want to pay their rent for my entire life. (laughs) I know (laughs) that's the right. (laughs) Right. So, so, you know, and Republicans are sick of it too. They're just saying, well, I don't want to pay for this anymore. If they make bad decisions, look, if you're doing hard drugs, you do not need a political punishment. You are punishing yourself plenty. You don't need the government to step in. That's absolutely correct. Make it happen for you. So that's the second step. It's really just a rule, but avoid talk about definitions and politicians if you can. Sometimes you might need to make a minor correction. They'll just say something that's that's blatantly absurd or something that they don't, you know, they don't really understand or, or if they try to cage you in a corner. And you need to say, hey, I understand where you're coming from. I understand how these politicians might make you feel this way, but here's how I feel about it. It doesn't need – don't let yourself get bogged down because the fir- the more you talk about the dictionary and the more you talk about a politician, the less you're talking about the issues. And that's really where you want to go. And so the, the third and final step, real simple, provide real solutions. I talk about not being that uh, just another log going down the same river. Mm-hmm. We want to talk about these real solutions. Um, use examples. Dig through history. Be more than just a hypothetical solution or a guess. Yeah. Um, if we um, – we, we shouldn't try to waste time undermining the systems that they have set up because Republicans and Democrats have had plenty of chances to set their systems up 
we already know they don't work. So you don't really have to undermine the issues. We're kind of aware. Really, instead of, we need to build the better mousetrap, right? They say, we've got these two crappy mousetraps that don't work functionally very well. They catch one out of every hundred, one out of every hundred mice, and then they say, well, I think I feel like the Republicans catch two out of every hundred mice instead of the Democrats that <laughs> only catch one. Right. And I'd be like, man, I feel like I got a system over here that can get darn near a hundred. Would you like to hear about it? <laughs> right. You know? Or at least more than two. <laughs> right. Because because most Democrats would even say they don't like. But let's let's use the environment. Let's go back to the environment again. It's a really great one for the, for leftists that care about the environment. I care about the environment, but they've got a system set up in the EPA where these big corporations pay a certain amount of money in order to dump pollutants into the environment. And that's the, that's how the EPA works. You pay a license for it. Mm. So famously in the seventies, they had, uh, uh, my, uh, I had a co-host, uh, Paul Copeland and I did an episode called who will speak for the trees. And we did a lot of research about the environment and, uh, what the government does. And in the seventies, they showed the, you know, the Ohio river catching on fire, and they're like, this is what we need to stop. It's all this pollution. Well, fun fact, the, the company, uh, the, uh, it's Industrial Steel, but that same company, Industrial Steel, that polluted the Ohio River is still polluting the Ohio River at the same rate that they were. They actually didn't stop. They just pay a fee to the EPA so that they can do it. Right. What did that do? That ruined the livelihoods of the ferry boats. That ruined the livelihood of people who own property along the front. That ruined the livelihood of fishermen that could catch uh, fish in the river that were healthy. It ruined a lot of people's lives. And so we as libertarians, we just say, well, um, we don't really have a solution for that, but we think that your regulations are bad. No, we have a great solution for that. Property rights. If somebody pollutes your air or poisons your water, they are held accountable right. for it. Exactly. You, so that yeah, they pay a fee to the government. Government doesn't care. They say, yeah, go ahead. Now you have a legal right to ruin all these. Yeah, other that's called lives. cronyism. Right. Yeah, <laughs> and there's there's cronyism and corporatism. And both uh, both heavily involve the state. The capitalism, as I've read the definition of earlier, both require the non-existence of a state. And so what we have is this this state-run pollution machine, mm-hmm. and they are allowed to do it so long as they pay X amount. And generally, the democratic solution doesn't stray too far from that. They say, yeah, you can fly, but you're just going to have to pay extra. Well, what does that do? That further separates the gap between the rich and the poor. The only people who pollute now right. are allowed to pollute are going to be these rich people. And they own – they pretty much now own the entire entire Ohio River because if you wanted to start a business catching fre- you know, freshwater fish or own property along that river, you have no recourse because they paid their fees. Um, here's another great example. Um, the Aaron, Aaron Brockovich, right? Lefties love Aaron Brockovich. Somebody poisoned the water and got a whole bunch of people sick. Yeah. It's awful. Instead of trying to dismiss how many people – this is what libertarians do with that. They challenge the idea that pe- that the water was actually giving them cancer because they couldn't definitively link any of these cancer to the to the poisoned water. Look, who cares? Grant it to them. Yeah. Like if somebody's messing with your water, I don't care if you can't link cancer to it or not. Right. Something bad ha- is happening, and we, and we should absolutely provide a solution for that. So – you have the Aaron Brockovich situation. What happened to those companies that – what happened in the movie? They got fined. They had to fix it. They were given a deadline to fix it. They had to fix it within, uh, what, three months. They had to pay all the people who may have even gotten sick, even if they didn't actually get sick, who even think they may have gotten sick. They had to pay reparations. And a lot of those people spent time in jail as well because they were being corrupt and know, knew what they were doing is wrong. That's what happens when a private institution poisons your water. Now let's look at Flint, Michigan. What happens when the government poisons your water? Yeah. Right? This is what happens when the government poisons your water. No restitution fees, no deadline to fix it. What? uh, Not even an apology from the government at any level. No, and And it's still not fixed. It's still not fixed. They believe it'll be another seven years till it gets fixed. And in the meantime, they encourage you, and this this is a quote, to shower with bottled water. In the meantime, I mean, they're, they're, it, this is what happened. And see, here's the thing. So this is a generally this is a left person who usually wants you know bigger government. They don't actually want big government, right? That's something we try to cage them in. They care about the environment, and they think that big government is a good solution. 
So what we do, we provide a better solution. We want to be that Aaron Brockovich solution. We don't, we're not preaching for a utopia. We're not saying no big company is ever going to mess anything up. But if they do, they're going to jail. They're paying millions of dollars in fines. They're going to make it right. They're given deadlines. They're held accountable. And they're transparent versus the government, which is not transparent, never accountable, and will poison your water, laugh at you afterwards, and tell you, hmm, I guess you're going to have to use bottled water for seven years. Yeah, man. I mean, I mean you look at – you look at the system where it's an easy way to, to demonize these large companies and Hey, if they're doing stuff wrong, hope by all means, hold them accountable. But yep. this is where the separation of power is very distinct. You know, um, you've got the likes of Bernie Sanders and, and the progressives going hard against these large companies and, and, and yep. billionaires and millionaires and billionaires and millionaires. Um, <laughs> but the thing is, if one of those guys screws up, you know, people lose their jobs, their company go under, they they pay a lot of money and penalties and all of that stuff. If the government screws up, man, a lot of lives are at risk. Hardly anything ever gets done to actually fix it. They can get bought off by these large companies. And man, that's it's a it's a much worse case scenario and much less people are held accountable in the government scenario where they have the control and the power than these individual companies, because at least people can say, hey, that company is screwing things up. They're not doing things right. At least you can boycott and and have the option to not buy their products, not take their their automobiles, their trains, their bus uh, company. You cannot take their buses with the government. What choices do you have? I mean, it is Nine. what it is. You're going to yeah. do it at let's, the ballot box? Give me a break. Let's let's talk about a tale of two, uh, two bakeries here. A few, uh, about uh, just under a decade ago, in the same year, we had one in Indiana and one in Oregon that both refused to bake a cake for a gay couple. Um, and one, uh, the government stepped in and said, you have to serve, you have to serve the cake and you have to bake the cake for the, this gay couple. And then the other... The government said, no, you have the right to discriminate, even though it's reprehensible, you have the right to do it and, and you know, not bake the cake for them. Lo and behold, which one's still in business today? The one the government mandated stay open is still in business today. Yeah. And the one that the, that the government said, no, they're allowed to discriminate, people boycotted it and they went out of business in the very same year. So we're not talking about different environments. This is the same year in the United States of America. So – you know, I'm with them. I think discrimination is reprehensible. I think, yeah. you know, if you have the opportunity to unite over something as simple as food, hey, do you like a good cake? Yeah. Why not use the opportunity to unite? I love unity. Man, and I, t- if there's somebody- I can't think of a more unified piece of food to, to get together and <laughs> make friends with. Cake? Yeah. Are you kidding me? Man. Yeah, for real. I mean, we're not talking about sushi here where everybody's got their particulars. <laughs> Everybody this is likes cake. cake. Come Put on. Cake. <laughs> so, yeah. So if somebody decides to be discriminatory, we have a very free market example of, of them taking care of it. And then yeah. the government steps in and actually protects the bigoted couple and they stay in business. Right. You know, and so this isn't this isn't a hypothetical. Again, when I say, talk about step three, using real solutions, this is a very real solution of something that happened. Now, let's talk about some real history. Economy is something that I love. I love history. I'm big on capitalism. But, hey, let's abandon in the word capitalism because people get put off by it and they should be put off by it because we we excuse a lot of sins of our government by calling it capitalist which yeah. it is not well but that's exactly just, right i actually went over that that was my interview with uh with um brian nichols the, yep. the misrepresentation of capitalism when it's really crony capitalism that is has put this mess out of control and what we're seeing right. now yeah. So really, if you're a capitalist, you should never defend the current system. Right. Throw them yeah. under the bus. Exactly. Um, we actually fought um, – we actually had started fighting a revolutionary war. Adam Smith wrote The Wealth of Nations in 1776 before the war – or right after our war even broke out. Um, we had founded our country before his book even made it over here. In uh, 1789 is when it popularized and centralized Europe. We had already established a central bank by then. So we don't have capitalist tendencies. We pretended to because it was really popular over there. We tried to mimic what some of those guys did. But, you know, we we should we have very real history to say that, yeah, there was a lot. We didn't have capitalism from the beginning. We wanted this centralized federal federal power to step in. And and then we realized that capitalism was the way to go. We kind of abandoned the first central bank, but we set up a new one and tried to pretend it worked differently. It was a mess. But. Let's talk about some real solutions. Uh, we look at what was going on in Central U- Europe. Feudalism is taking power. We got lords, 
presiding over everybody. I don't think anybody liked what was going on with feudalism, right? And we can, you know, let's not even call it capitalism, but let's just say Adam Smith spread this idea around that made its way across the Silk Roads. It was actually more popular with the uh, Muslim and Hindu populations out east, even before it was out west, right? So a lot of these city states become capitalist and become or become freedom based. We'll call it freedom, liberty minded, mm-hmm. and they say, hey, there's no reason we should be paying this to anybody else. This idea that I should own the cattle instead of, you know, the right a lot of times likes to say some company or, you know, or, or owns the cattle. The left likes to say, well, we own the cattle or some type of collective. Right. You know, we're just talking about the individual. Yeah, I own the fruits the, of my labor. Correct. Well, and the fruits and the production of your labor. Sure. I mean, I, I, when you're a baker, you own your oven. You own your product. You decide what you do with you the You pay for the maintenance on the equipment, the rent for the yep. building. Yeah. Oh, forget rent. You own that building. That's your building. <laughs> you know, so I, I'm so sick of the government and owning property. I'm going to get to that in just a second. Property too, taxes. Because this is something the left should absolutely eat up capitalism. Absolutely eat it up. And I'm going to explain why here because it finally carries over to Europe and what happens. In a single day, uh, the National Assembly uh, refuses to cut all the lords and ladies and barons and dukes wheat and refuses to raise their cattle anymore. And the barons say, well, is it everybody? Because before, when one person was resist, we'd just kill him, and then right. somebody else would do it. But everybody refused. In a single day, feudalism fell. And so what they did is they said, well, now we've got this new system. Who owns the cattle if the duke no longer owns the cattle? You do, right? And so they say, well, who owns this land? Well, where's the limit to the land? Before, you had these governments drawing these hard borders, mm-hmm. saying, here's where you go. Hey, you have to stay in these walls. Now you get to define your own walls, And what they found out, even today, the entire population of the entire world in a normal apartment building can fit in a country the size of New Zealand. The reason I bring that statistic up is because land is a fake scarcity. If you are paying more for than than a couple of dollars for your rent, something went way wrong because we don't have a land problem. What happens is they got this Keynesian idea that it was really sad that uh, there that businesses were going under because they would try to own too much land and they couldn't control it all, and then people would take over, and that and so we had these public lands. Nobody can grow on this land unless we say it's okay and you pay us a fine. If we were to release all of those public lands into actually being public, by the way, it's not public, <laughs> right? You know, yeah. if you're not allowed to set foot on it, right? Yeah, exactly. But if we were to actually say, hey, you can build your house wherever you want. Housing prices go from eight hundred dollars a month in your crappy apartment to. I don't know, 50 cents, maybe nothing, nothing, whatever you need. Right, because it's a false scarcity. And so what what Keynesians would notice is that this was the tendency. And in fact, this is what, going back to my historic example, this is what the Europeans noticed immediately. They said, well, we're used to paying these tithes to live on this land. We're used to giving away at least 30% of our product. Um, We're used to, you know, paying fees, whatever the currency was. And uh, and this is what they were used to. They found that when they got to live on their own, yeah, there's some additional responsibility there. They had to build a house, you know, and they they had to uh, maybe work with their neighbors to get a plumbing system going. Yeah, but that there it was actually no real cost. And so economists had a problem with this because they said, well, there was this whole economy based on people rent renting. And if they can't rent anymore, they're going to go out of business, those poor people. And so we have to keep them in business by restricting where people can live. Mm. And this makes it expense. Who does the expense pass on to? The poor. Let's yeah. start. So this is what they call an economy, false scarcity, right? The government creates a scarcity that doesn't actually exist. Mm-hmm. We talk about supply and demand, right? You'll pay more for something that isn't easy to access. Right. If anybody could live anywhere – Land becomes free because it's literally dirt cheap, right? So you can so they can't pay anything for it. We know that we can house the homeless for nothing for nothing if it just means putting a room over their heads, giving them a place to go to the bathroom, get them a place to clean up. It's a very it's a very inexpensive and would pay for itself almost like the lemon on the side of your water, mm. you know, at a restaurant. It, yes, there is some cost incorporated to it, but it's very negligible. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this it also carries over to food. 
Food is another great example. We generate a lot of excess. The world has more food than mouths to feed. Yeah. Now, the capitalist way would say, well, then food would cost next to nothing because the pl- supply is so much. So what does the government do? The government says, well, that would put a lot of these big food people out of business. Right. So what we're going to do is we're going to step in. We're going to create some le- regulations. We're going to say who you can and can't sell to. We're going to say what you can and can't grow here. Uh, all of this is going to cost a great deal of money, um, and you're going to have to pay these certain fines. And so what you do is you get these upcharges on these foods. Mm -hmm. What they realized in Europe, in this example after feudalism fell, what they realized pretty quickly was that food was nothing. They're like, oh my gosh, I kill one cow, I feed the whole village. This is crazy. Like I thought that was really expensive. We can grow cattle like that. Food is next to nothing. Food is a non-consideration. Same thing with water. Right. What happens when feudal, you know, they're 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 drinking sewage water, even literally right now in these uh, in in these ex-communist countries or currently communist countries Mm -hmm. and these big government countries, they're literally drinking sewage water. What happened in Europe is very the same. They were had they had a struggle with water. They found out after the governments fell, there was really no water shortage. They were just saving, saving it for, you know, the 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 wealthy folks. Sure. And then with the rest and there would be more. They really wouldn't give it out <laughs> and they yeah. wouldn't distribute it. Well, that's the thing. I mean, um, for a current example of that, I mean, your shortages in the cherry crop. I know towards the Great Lakes, they had record high cherry crops and the government was essentially making them dump the cherries and letting yep. them just rot in these huge fields because they had so much excess cherries that the price would have dropped dramatically had they not just dumped the cherries and had a, a false sense of uh supply right and this is this directly affects the poorest people the people who want to eat right Right. (laughs) the people who are just trying to struggle to eat now the contention of course among the keynesians is that well there's going to be no economy then if everything is if it's free to live free to eat and free to drink there's going to be no economy but what europe proved is that actually wasn't true because what happened is all these things out east among the people who had accepted capitalism before us right they had uh, silks incense luxuries that became what your work was about instead of your work just trying to be the bare minimum to survive your work was actually towards these luxuries mm-hmm. you know in the modern case it should be hard you know we would work still of course to get televisions cell phone upgrades playstation 4s oh yeah um New computers. Satellite in the sky. Right, new computers. As though capitalism were like going to – as though as if we didn't create this expense regarding land, food, and water, that there would be a problem. Water might be the best example because when the Europeans found out that you could turn water into other really awesome stuff like wine and beer and sodas, they were like, oh my gosh. They immediately started living like kings because they said this is really not very expensive to do. It just seemed expensive, but when we saw them do it – and so so they still worked. It's just the work became trying to get a hold of silks instead of cottons, trying to get a hold of tulips instead of daisies. And we have – there are very historical real examples, of course, how tulips became like way too important and stuff about uh, <laughs> things – you know, these ideas of these luxuries. But the thing is, is that what is what economy should be about. That is the good news of liberty. Mm-hmm. Is that this is what your economy would be like without government. You would not be fighting to try and feed the homeless because they wouldn't be homeless. It wouldn't be hard to feed them. And they would have way too much water. That's a real example. It happened overnight in Europe. This wasn't even like a slow, oh, you know, let's ease our way into it. Everything collapsed in one day and everybody found out they could get a way better home on the same day. Yeah. And they said, well, I'm just going to build it, you know. This is the real example that I'm talking about, though. When we talk about be, being these real examples, you don't have to pretend to not care about the homeless. How, how often do you hear libertarians address welfare and talk, and, and talk about the, the, the needy disparagingly, right? Yeah, like right. We, we talk – you know, they're a burden on the economy. They shouldn't come over here. They had an anchor baby. We got to pay for it. Yes, I'm not, a, I'm not for welfare either, right? But let's talk about a plan that could make them li- – give them a home, give them a place to – eat, drink, bathe themselves, go to the bathroom for pretty much dirt cheap. Sorry about my dog. No, you're fine. <laughs> yeah, give them an opportunity to get up on their uh, on their own feet and start working for themselves and to start providing. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And so this is this is what actually happens in the economy and what actually and the, and they talked about it openly. I mean, Keynes would talk about this very openly and that he would say, you know, the problem is is that these things would become dirt dirt cheap, nobody would pay for them, but then there would be too few jobs. You know, the concern was always employment. Uh, and I mean, and you hear so, that talking point right now with, uh, you yeah. know, people, uh, I think it was uh, 
I like Tucker Carlson. He's great on like the, the, the war issues and all of that, but man, he's got a, a weird opinion on capitalism and how, how it, uh, he's scared of like technology taking away jobs. And I'm like, the jobs are always going to be there. The jobs are always going to be there. You know, the, the great, uh, example is like the horse and buggy business, yep. right? When, when automobiles came into play, it's just like, well, I mean, they're going to take away jobs at the horse and buggy business. You know, they're, they're just, where are those people going to do, you know, well, people transitioned into other jobs and, and technology is improving. And uh, I mean, in this day and age, I mean, you're going to have more and more people get into things like coding and computers and technology. I mean, that field is just blowing up right now. It's the future. Um, we have no idea what jobs are going to become available as things improve. Mm. Uh, Pierre Joseph Prudhomme uh, was a socialist. Uh, he, he was the founder of the philosophy of mutualism. Um, and he noticed with capitalism the exact opposite of what people contend about it today. He was like, well, the problem was they created so much technology, but when you create new technology, you create so many new jobs. Yeah. And he was worried that the population of the earth could not reproduce at the rate that capitalism wanted mm. in order to fill in those new jobs. <laughs> so it's funny, because you t and he's a socialist, right? And so the contention among these socialists before, you know, with them actually witnessing the advent of capitalism just on the heels of it, was that, oh man, it looks good now that you're getting trains instead of, you know, that, that our life expectancy is doubled and that your food is easy to have and that, you know, all this. But but are you going to be able to keep that up? To which I say, challenge accepted, Mr. Socialist. <laughs> absolutely. Friend. If that's I the challenge. <laughs> right. If that's the challenge, I will absolutely take my food for free, my water for free, my land for free. And I'll, I'll work a little bit harder for my and, – and you know what? If me having a lot of kids is the is, – is, uh, maybe I, if the worry becomes about me having not enough kids, hey – Let's get me on a procreation wagon. I'm good for that too. Yeah. I mean, you you even hear the talking points of people, uh, the uh, the over overpopulation myth, right? Yep. You you always hear about the overpopulation. Even even AOC uh, was saying that she thinks it's immoral to have children at the, at yep. this time because of the uh, the global warming or uh, climate change. Right. This is the fear. Right. And this is how what I've laid out here is how we break through those fears, you know, to say, hey, let's talk about climate change. Let's talk about it as a very real thing. Let's yeah. talk about it as a very real problem. And let's provide some very real solutions. Mm -hmm. You know, property rights is the best solution for environmentalism. Uh, you look at public parks versus private parks. Man, there's no comparison. Uh, if you do listen to my network, you've already heard my breakdown on it. But it's something like the government has like 500 tons of trash in their national parks and private parks, uh, in, you know, in, a, in an audit had like less than one ton between all the private parks. I mean, they're cleaner. They're better taken care of. The incentive's there. It makes sense, you right. know, logically. Yeah. But it plays out, you know, that's when I, mean, I talk about not just, hey, it plays out logically. Like we're, we're not making this hypothetical. When I say be more than hypothetical, that's a real example. Real life private parks are better taken care of than public parks. Mm -hmm. And so if you really care about Yellowstone, you don't worry about privatizing it. You should worry that it's in public control right now because now there's graffiti all over it. Yeah. Now there's litter all over it. Why? Because there's no incentive to keep it clean. They get their money regardless and they don't care. Yeah. It's guaranteed employment. Right. Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, those are, those are all great points, Odie. And, um, I, I before we, cause we're kind of coming up on our time here. Sure. Um, yep. before we head out, I did want to get your, since we are on the topic of freedom, um, I was kind of yeah. pondering, pondering what I wanted to bring up and get your thoughts on. Um, one of the things I thought about, I was kind of breaking down freedom, um, in general. And I really, the, the thing that hinges everything together everything is tied together with the freedom of speech. And, and right now you kind of see that under attack uh, more and more, especially on the social media side. I don't know if you saw the latest story where Facebook did another rounds of yep. uh, censorship. Give me your thoughts on the, the current trajectory of this and, and give me your thoughts on the whole um, Facebook is a private company. It can do what it need. It can do whatever it wants versus, I mean, in this day and age, that is the public square. Should that be considered a, a violation of free speech? I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that. Sure. So we're given this false dichotomy, right? Either Facebook gets to, you know, ban whoever it wants, say whatever it wants, or they or the government controls it completely. And they say, well, you're, you know, they they're banning liberty minded people. Uh, and so if they're banning and cracking down on liberty based speech, 
you know, should, hey, they're a private company. They should be able to do whatever they, whatever they want. Well, first of all, they receive a lot of subsidies to, to be a private company. They get a lot of government funding. Yeah. And that shouldn't be happening for anybody, uh, ob- obviously. Right? Yeah. Well, they're the actually government- trying to open themselves up to more regu- – I mean you saw uh, Zuckerberg actually want yep. government to regulate him, which I, yeah, he you know, wants to help out. He just wants to help out draft the, the regulations. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that, well, that's absolutely true. You know, I was talking to someone the other day. I was like, um, they, they were talking about how Facebook wants to help curb the hate speech and all of that. I was like, mm-hmm. well, I mean, think about it. Zuckerberg wants the government to regulate him. Why do you think Mark Zuckerberg, is that his name? Mark Zuckerberg? Yeah, Mark Zuckerberg. Why do you think he you can wants... call him Mike to hurt his feelings if you want? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's fun. <laughs> uh, why do you think he wants to be regulated? Because that helps him. Because the only person that's going to hurt is the little guy trying to compete with Facebook. Right. And so what we have here is is a dash of government, and then we're given this false dichotomy between, uh, you know. You know, uh, uh, basically the choice is should we get more government to, you know, we need more government one way or another, either to force them to allow these voices or for them to, you know, do a better job regulating these voices. When in reality, the biggest issue is that government exists at all. Mm. Uh, Both Steve Jobs and and, uh, Bill Gates had said, well, I mean, it was like 20 years after their products took off, but they wouldn't be able to invent Apple and Microsoft today based on the current regulations that uh, everything that exists. So you want to talk about we live in this stifling of innovation, right? If you textbooks for college, man, those would be free, right? Mm. That's a joke. You know, you might have to watch an ad every two hours that you skip, you know, if you wanted a free (laughs) online textbook. Right. You know, I mean, we're talking about people are eager to make it for free. You know, there's there's a battle to the door. And so what they've done is they've bribed politicians and they've said, hey, let's make it so that only one single company can distribute all of these books. They did the same thing with epinephrine Mm -hmm. uh, for people that needed that medicine. Right. And so they said, let's make it a gigantic monopoly that the government kind of oversees. But, you know, and they pay a certain amount of money. Meanwhile, who got locked out? All the people who wanted to give it away for free. You look at epinephrine over in um, a country where it's not regulated. Uh, and it's, it's, it costs the price of a deodorant stick. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, as opposed to the $250 you pay for it here, these college textbooks pay nothing. You can learn anything online except for whatever is on. The only thing you're not allowed to learn online is what's in a college textbook, right? Because they need that false economy. Yeah. So the same thing, I, I'm not trying to get too contrived. The same thing happens with Facebook and with social media. Mm-hmm. There are plenty of people that would be willing to do Facebook better than Facebook does it. The problem is, is that all of all, all of the internet and uh, social media, th- there are so many regulations already on the internet and satellites, because you need one of those at this point. Mm-hmm. That you can't do it. It's, the infrastructure is far too large. Yeah, right. Uh, let me let me think. I'm going to look up some numbers real quick here. But a great example is uh, the the lo- you look at lobbying money. How much mm-hmm. do they just pay politicians? Right? right. How much do you big companies just pay politicians? And three in a row at about the same dollar amount. You've got Lockheed Martin, uh, Northrop Northrop Grumman, and Boeing. Mm-hmm. So if you were to offer. If you were to try and build, say, a missile for cheaper than them or an airplane or a fuselage or do some type of space exploration, you could do it for a lot cheaper than them. And you can. But there's just a bunch of licensing that you have to get first. Right. And the issue is, is they're not going to give you license if you don't work with one of those companies because those companies pay. Uh, I'm going to look this up here. I'm going to look this they're up. A ridiculous amount of money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Um, let's, yeah, or basically just a ridiculous amount of money to, to be where they are and to pay, to pay that when they pay what they do. Um, I'll look it up later, but you, you, you got this. Yeah. And the same thing is there with social media, right? Mm-hmm. They have to, they look, he's paid for the data. He's paid for, he's paid the government to, for all these things that would be a lot cheaper for a pri- you know, if they were privatized, if they didn't have a go- big government looming over it. As far as look, and then 
ultimately, let, let's avoid numbers real quick. Mm-hmm. Let's just talk about philosophically. It's okay for you to say something's a bad idea without talking about getting politics involved. When we talked about it at the very beginning, people that don't like being political, this is kind of why. Because mm-hmm. you say, well, Facebook shouldn't be banning these voices. And they're like, what? So you think the government should? No, they just shouldn't do it. Yeah. If you make a bad decision in the public sec- in, in the public eyes, then the public will avoid you, yeah. right? If, yeah. if, it's truly, if it's truly open. And so the issue is this shouldn't be a political political issue. If Facebook makes a bad misstep, which should they should be free to do, make yeah. a bad misstep and then reap the repercussions for making that misstep. Exactly. The issue is is right now they just aren't they aren't held accountable for it because they pay the government a certain amount of money in order for it to stay that way. Yeah. By the way, those numbers uh Boeing 278 million dollars, Northrop Grumman 277 million dollars and Lockheed Martin 200 $59 million. So if you're going to privately do something better than them, you have to have at least 260 ish million dollars to <laughs> pay them around. first. Right. Just laying <laughs> around first. So all you small business folks who want to get involved in it. Right. And the really sad thing is you see people that actually could, right? Yeah, they build yeah. stuff in their backyard. There's YouTube videos of people who actually build rockets that they'd say, hey, I think I figured out something out of a better fuselage. And then what happens is that information gets shared to the government. The government says, hey, you're not allowed to build those rockets and they actually take those videos down off of youtube because it defies their content because only certain people are allowed to be built right well it's yeah. certainly a uh, a it's going to be interesting to watch and and see how this is because like i said before all of this i mean once you take away freedom of speech it, the only thing left is force and that's that's a bad road to go down that you don't want people expressing their opinions through force. You got to keep free speech in there. Um, but this is exactly why I wanted to bring you on, Hody. This has been a lot of fun, man. You gave me, uh, you taught me a whole lot. Uh, I enjoyed your historical um, examples, and I, man, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show. Thanks so much for having me on, man. Freedom Strips is an awesome show. You asked me to come on the show. I know I showed you a picture of my Spotify, and I was like, "Hey, Freedom Strips is already on there." I'm a busy guy. <laughs> yeah, they so gave me a big smile. You got to have a good thing going on. So I appreciate you with what you do. Uh, I know you've lent lent uh, lent out your microphone to many people who need it, and I am one of those people. I just appreciate you giving me the chance and taking the time out of your day to do what you do. I know that you donate a lot of your free time, and uh, man, if you're listening to this uh, just because of me or for we are libertarians or however you ran into this show and you're not subscribed to Freedom Strips. Check it out. It's an awesome show. I appreciate that, Hody. And as well, if you haven't already, check out We Are Libertarians. Be sure to check out Hody John's uh, special series on the Libertarian Presidential Debate Series. Do you have any other series coming up that you want to plug real quick? Man, so uh, I'm ripping on all the federal departments of education. I just decided to start now. I love that, by the way. Our most listened to daily ever was the uh, me going off on the Department of Agriculture. I just finished with education. I've got energy coming up. I always regularly have debates. Uh, right now, because of the presidential debates, um, it, it's a little slower. But we'll be getting into issues debates. Uh, we do. We did have, for example, an issue about abortion uh, debate with. Um, uh, Dennis Allen Miller uh, II and Sarah Brady Wagner. They both did a great job debating that. So I always have a debate series going on. I have the presidential debate series going on right now. And I'll always be up to something. Uh, I, I allow myself a lot of room to change because I get passionate about different things at different times. I had a permaculturalist come on the show the other day, and she kind of blew the audience's mind. And so right now, everybody wants gardening tips from me. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm just going where the wind blows right now. Well, there you go. <laughs> Well, you heard him, guys. That is Hody Johns from the We Are Libertarians Network. Go check him out. Give him a sub. Give him a listen. Hody Johns, thank you again, my friend, for coming on. Thanks, Keaton. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode of Freedom Strips.